0: Good morning. Hello, welcome. If you have your Bible with you, we are going to be in Philippians 1 shortly. Uh, We're in part 3 of our Philippians series at the moment. Um, And if you're the kind of person who likes to take notes, I've given this talk the title Homeward Bound. Um, Over the last couple of days, whenever I've mentioned this to anyone, they've kind of gone, oh, like the film. Um, Apparently, there is a film called Homeward Bound, which is a 1990s remake of a 1960s film based on a book. And the gist of it, for those of you who haven't watched it, is about some pets who um, are handed over to a, another family to look after them whilst their owners go away on holiday. But they don't know what's going on. They think they've been abandoned. So the story is basically unfolds as this, this group of pets travel 300 miles um, to go and head home, basically. They over- go through the wilderness, they overcome obstacles, they're homeward bound. Um, and it's a heartwarming tale of, of these pets making their way back to where they belong. Um, in this series, as we are looking at the letter to Philippians, that's quite a helpful picture of the Christian life as this idea of a journey, um, this idea that we are on a journey. We, we start when we put our trust in Jesus. And when, at the very beginning, we don't really know very much. We don't really have a very full or deep understanding of what that means. But we grow as we keep following Jesus and, and as we keep making steps towards him, as we keep um, getting revelation about who he is and experiencing him, we grow and we mature. So as we look at this letter to Philippians, we do get this picture of the Christian life being like a journey and as we shall see today, hopefully, we're going to understand this picture of being homeward bound, we're heading home. Two of the most exciting things that I'm currently involved with is um, a mum's daytime alpha and freed for purpose. And the reason I just love being involved with both of those things is because you get to see God transforming people's lives. from the inside out, literally before your very eyes. It's incredible, it never gets boring seeing people come to trust in Jesus for the first time. And it's incredible seeing Jesus powerfully move in people's lives, moving them forward um, when there have been obstacles or things in people's past that have held held them back from maturing, from growing towards God, and being able to see God set them free on that. It's been an incredible experience. And that's what God's doing in each one of us. We heard a few weeks ago that promise at the beginning of Philippians that he who began the good work in us will bring it to completion. We have a final destination, brothers and sisters. We're not there yet, but we know that we're heading that way. And we are on a journey. And this wonderful God that we've been worshipping is working in us and through us. And we're growing, growing more like him. Philippians paints a picture of what a mature believer looks like as we go through the Christian life. There are obstacles, there are challenges, there are fun moments too, um, but we're all heading homeward bound. When we understand that eternal life is not something that we gain after death, it's something that's actually placed into us the moment we put our trust in Jesus. And that is incredible. If you're a believer here this morning, you've got the seed of eternity planted into you. And that changes how you live now. That changes how you view the world. Paul understands this. It's why he's able to say these incredible words. Let's turn to Philippians 1. I'm just going to go through verses 18 to 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. What an amazing bit of scripture. That is incredible. And knowing that we're homeward bound, that this life is not all there is, changes how we live. It changes how we live our life. It changes our circumstances. My first point this morning is that we are not adrift. We're empowered. If we look at verse 19, Paul says, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and help, Supply is also a useful word there. Supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. This will turn out for my deliverance. And right away, Paul repeats the main theme of this letter, which as we've heard is rejoice. Rejoice in whatever circumstances you find yourself. That's not naivety. And it's not an unhealthy denial of the reality of which he's facing. He knows that he's in jail. He knows that he's imprisoned. He's in chains. He's not denying it. His immediate future is uncertain. What's incredible when we look at this verse is that deep confidence and assurance that he has about who God is and what that means for him. Look at those words, I will rejoice. I know that this will turn out for. That's confidence. That is assurance. His immediate future is unclear, but he is convinced that God's purposes will triumph in the end. This truth applies to us true today. There are circumstances that you may be facing right now, situations that are outside of your control, things that are challenging, things that are painful, things that seem really unnecessary even. And if you're not in that place, it's almost a given that you will be at some point because life is confusing sometimes. Sometimes stuff happens and it just doesn't seem to make sense. As I was preparing this talk, I just kept getting this image of a bottle at sea. You know the picture, um, a message in a bottle, floating around on the sea, being battered by waves and blown about by the wind, sort of bobbing along at the mercy of the elements around it. Adrift. When we use the word adrift, we mean that something's not steered or or anchored to anything. Sometimes I felt we could feel like that. Life has taken a few unpredictable turns. Maybe you feel blown about. Maybe you feel at the mercy of factors outside of your control. Maybe you feel off course, Maybe you're even wondering if it's your fault. You feel adrift. Just like the inevitability that if you've got a bottle, measured in the bottle at sea, it will end up on the shore at some point. You know, it gets washed in by the currents onto shore. We can feel as Christians, yeah, we know heaven's coming. There's an inevitability that we're going to get washed up onto the shores of glory. But in the meantime, between now and then, we're just drifting around, floating around, kind of a bit confused by, by life. Maybe there's a sense of feeling alone, helpless, maybe even powerless. But Paul has something to say to us here. You're not alone. You're not powerless. You're a child of God. And no child of God is helpless and without hope. Verse 19 says, through your prayers, he's talking to the Philippian church, the converts there, and help of the spirit of Jesus, this will turn out. And these, he's pointing here to two incredible gifts that God gives us for this journey, two amazing resources that God puts into our lives when, when we become Christians and when we set off on this journey homeward bound. We have company. We are part of a body, the church, and we chart our way through life, through the waters, if you like, together. So not, such, not really a bottle, that's not really that helpful. Driftwood would be a better picture. And then we get shaped into a, a vessel together. We're the blood-bought company of believers who are all, all of us, each and every one of us, being put back together and shaped into the image of Christ. Paul is clearly, when you read through this letter, so encouraged, so stirred, so strengthened by the faith and the support of the Philippian church. Their prayers and support make a real difference. Paul is confident about his circumstances, confident about his future deliverance. He's not self-reliant. It's a challenge to us. He's not self-reliant. He's confident that as that church in Philippi pray for him, he will receive supply of the Holy Spirit and we need to remember that as we, you know, as we walk with one another. We're, our prayers are powerful and effective. They really help when people are going through tough situations. It's what God calls us to, to stand with one another. We're family. Right at the heart of new community is this value that we are family, built for community. And huge, prayer has such a huge part to play in who we are and what we're called to. And the other truth that Paul's pointing to in here in verse 19 is that we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's another key value of ours here that this journey is not supposed to be done alone. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit supplying us, equipping us for life. We are not adrift and alone. We're empowered. We were singing earlier our anchor holds within the veil. We are not adrift at the whim of situations and circumstances. But it is okay as a Christian to feel pain. It's okay if you feel confused. It is okay if you feel a sense of grief. But what we're looking at here is that, like Paul, at the very root, we don't need to feel dread or fear about the outcome of events because God is overall. Paul's confident rejoicing rests on this truth that God is sovereign and he is on the throne and God cannot be defeated. Our position in Christ means that we are more than conquerors. God rules our lives from the throne and his purposes can't be overruled. It's incredible. We just get this picture of who God is. He rules sovereign over history and yet he sustains our lives from within. That's what Paul's saying. He's being sustained by the power of the Spirit. Despite being in prison, despite being unsure about the immediate outcome of this, he is confident, confident about his future deliverance, and also confident that regardless of the outcome of his trial, Christ will be honoured. So secondly, we can have full courage. It's really struck me looking at verse 20. This says, is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, I love that, not just courage, full courage, now as always Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. Eager expectation, hope, again this confidence that Paul has. The way we use the word hope in English doesn't really help us here. We use the word hope Um, with this element of uncertainty in it, a bit like, you know, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. But there's this kind of doubt, kind of mixed in with that. That's not how the, the writers of the Bible use the word hope. Hope in the Bible overflows with certainty because it's based on God. And the writers of the Bible understand that if God is God, he's underwritten the future. It's not unclear to him. It's not uncertain it's based on the promises of God and those promises cannot fail. So hope is a certain hope. It's a sure hope when we read about it in the Bible because the future is known to God. And just preparing this the sense that when we talk about the future being known to God, it's not like kind of he's there and he's looking at the future and he says, oh, I know, I know what's happening. The future, because God's outside of time, is a place where he already is. And I think that's helpful when we look at this life as a journey because actually God is with us he is with us in this moment but he's also ahead of us and he's drawing us unto himself that's why we have confidence it's not uncertain God is ahead of us he is drawing us unto himself he's already there when you know this really know this it does change how you live Paul's confident that in his trial he would be bold, that he would have courage. He knew that he would be able to stand in his trial and declare the truth about who Jesus is and and what Jesus had accomplished. He knew no matter what earthly pain awaited him, his future was secure. His future was fully bound up in a known God. Corrie Ten Boone once famously said, Never be afraid to trust An unknown future to a known God. It's so powerful. We have a revelation of who God is. He's not unknown to us. Our immediate future might be, but he has revealed who he is. He is sure, he is certain, he is unfailing, he is known to us. So Paul says, whatever happens, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured. Or to put it another way, as one commentator put it, which I love, my body will be the theatre in which Christ's glory is displayed. Whether I live or die, what a claim. That's full courage. And I was wondering as I've been thinking about this passage whether maybe Paul did have an element of fear. I just thought, you know, maybe at night when he was really tired, did he feel fearful? Or maybe if he was being taunted by prisoners or, or the guards there. And you know what, I think he probably did feel fear every now and then. He was human. He was human. And I read recently, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than one's fear. And I just think that is really helpful. It's not the absence of fear, but a judgment that there's something bigger more important than one's fear. That encourages me. If as a Christian we feel fearful, we haven't failed. It's not actually really courage unless fear could have been a factor or maybe was a factor to start with. Spiritual maturity, though, recognises that when fear is looming, we have a choice to make. It's a very simple choice. We either choose to look up or we choose to look down. What I mean by that is we either choose to focus on our circumstances around us, the earthly reality, or we choose to look up and focus on the spiritual reality, based on who God is and who he says we are as a result of that. You know, the Bible is so full of such truth about this. Paul says in Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. And the Bible testifies to so many characters who have done that. It's reading Esther this this week in um, the Old Testament. And after some encouragement from Mordecai, Esther agrees to help save the Jewish people. It's an amazing story at the risk to own her, her own life. This is what she says. "'I and my young women will also fast as you do. "'Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. "'And if I perish, I perish.'" I love that. If I perish, I perish. And before Esther, we get a similar thing from David as he faced Goliath. Goliath of Gath was huge and intimidating and fearsome. And he said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. It's not very pleasant. In fact, completely terrifying, this huge giant. But there's a clue in that passage. It says Goliath of Gath. He was a creature. He was of this earth, of somewhere called Gath, wherever that is. He was a creature. And so David saw him, and he basically said, I see you, Goliath of Gath, and I see you come to me with your sword and your spear and your javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. His body became a theatre in which God's glory was displayed, why? Because he fixed his eyes onto God. He saw the full reality of what was going on. He saw Goliath of Gath, intimidating and fearsome, and then he also saw God. God who was stronger, fiercer, more powerful, greater, unfailing, unstoppable, and he had full courage. I don't know what Goliath you're facing at the moment, but I'll tell you what, we need to also be able to recognise that God who is as true there for people like Esther and Paul and David is going to be true for us too. We need to look at the full reality. When Paul fixed his mind and his heart heavenward, making Jesus known and accomplishing the work that God had for him, it was his all-consuming passion. Just so stirred when I read this because Paul's fixation with the gospel meant it was like win-win. If the authorities wanted to kill him, then he's good with that because he gets to be with Jesus. If they want to make him suffer, well, he's good with that too because as long as in the suffering he's able to become more like Jesus. And if they let him live, Paul says, great, verse 21, to live is Christ. The man's, you can't conquer him. And here's the truth. When you recognise that God has removed all risk above, there's no risk in dying when you're in Christ When we have that confidence in us, the future's certain and it frees us to live with boldness and full courage now, empowered by the Spirit, seeing the full reality of what we're facing, no matter where he takes us. This is really important. Paul had full courage, yes, because his eyes were fixed on God, yes, because he saw the full reality, but he was also walking in God's purposes And he was displaying him and giving God glory. Paul knew that his life on earth, this is what he was certain of, his life on earth would continue until his work was done. His work was to advance the gospel and honour Christ. And God places purposes into each one of our lives too when we become Christians, to display him and honour Jesus. And that will look different to each one of us. But we can be sure that when we become a child of God, the story of your life gets swept up beautifully into the big story of God. And, you know, a bit like that picture of the bottle in the sea, if you like, when we get saved, when we become a child of God, we get swept up into the current of God's story, his beautiful big story. And that's why we're earthward bound. Our destination determines our travel. Since we know the end, since we can fix our eyes on the end and know that eternity with Jesus is where we're going, we can live towards that, live towards that reality, live towards making him known. We're called to display him to a watching world now. And that verse, he says, full courage now, just really struck me. You know, sometimes I'm tempted to think that I am gonna be a better witness for Jesus when I sort my mess out. Or I'll be able to honour Jesus when this set of circumstances that I'm facing is like overcome and, and I've worked it through. And I don't know if any of you can relate to that. But sometimes I feel like it's this, this round the corner the thing I'm waiting for. You know, I'll be able to walk in all the fullness of everything. Just, just when, it's just there. Like the perfect version of, of what I think is going to happen is, is just slightly out of reach. So I, I even sometimes think, oh, you know, I'll be a much much more effective in, in being a witness to my friends when I'm less busy. Um, God will use me better when I've sorted out my devotional life, when I read my Bible more. I've even thought that God probably would use me more if I lost weight. It's ridiculous. That's genuinely a thought I've had once. But when Paul was in jail, in chains, he didn't say... Oh, once I get out of these chains, you know, then, then it's really going to start. Then I'm really going to be able to do great work for Jesus. No, within, with the chains around him, now he has full courage and he's advancing the kingdom of God. Paul says, now. So this is my third point. We have purpose Now. I read about two friends having a conversation. The younger one was complaining about her set of circumstances. She was really frustrated about, you know, whatever it was she was feeling. And her friend was older and her friend was wiser. And this is what she said to her gently. No moment will ever be like this. Let there be something for Jesus in it. It just really struck me. I've had similar moments. I remember vividly, It's about eight or nine years ago when I was working as a teacher, um, just complaining about my work situation, my unbearable work colleagues. I went to community and I, I do remember just whinging and I felt so justified in this, you know, how unjustly I was being treated and I whinged and whinged. Anyway, this very dear, mature Christian friend said, Hannah, what might God be teaching you in all this? What? I just wanted to moan and here is this thing. What is God teaching you? I don't know. I hadn't even thought about that. Paul says now, in the situation you're in now, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And when we do that, we honour him. The mature Christian life, just incidentally, when we use our opportunities now to glorify him, let's just get this clear, the mature Christian life doesn't look very often like triumph followed by triumph and success followed by success. That's not what we're talking about. Mature Christians have learnt that when all seems lost, it actually isn't. And they dig deep, not into their own resources and reserves of strength, but into God, and they get back up again. It's not high upon high. It's perseverance. Looking up, dusting yourself off, and going again, and again, and again. Long obedience in the right direction. That's Christian maturity. Fruitful labor for his kingdom often involves the perseverance of back up again, dusting myself off, and going again. Full courage now. In this moment, wherever you're at, I don't know all the situations that are represented in this room, but let there be something for Jesus in it. Your past, just really sensed this just yesterday, so I changed it a bit. Your past doesn't disqualify you. The situation you're in doesn't disqualify you. If you think about Paul, just so we know, that person who wrote this letter, he was a murderer. He had hated Jesus. He had persecuted Christians. He didn't allow the, the darkness of his past to disqualify him. That didn't stop him from fully being confident that God could use him for his glory. You know, whatever dark situations you've been in in the past, whatever, however dark Jesus shines brighter. Whatever situation you're in right now, whatever you're 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 struggling, whatever seems to be overwhelming, just got one truth, the cross is bigger. Jesus is stronger. He is more powerful than whatever it feels like you're facing and you're up against. He is greater. We come to him with empty hands. This is the Christian experience. This is maturity. We all know we come with empty hands. And he supplies what we need. We don't come mustering ourselves up and and feeling pleased with a, a long line of good decisions we think we've made. The bird says that apart from God, we can do nothing. It's all him, it's his grace. So just come as you are, come with empty hands. And then we just say, Lord, I'm available. I wanna live for you. I wanna live in your purposes, in your will. Your life has been redeemed because of God's great love for you. You've been given purpose. Let him teach you something now, in this moment. Let him conform you more into his image. Let him be glorified and honoured by your behaviour and your attitudes now. In verse 21, to live is Christ. You know, the world can't understand this. To live is Christ. What? (laughs) The world chases after so many other things that promise satisfaction. Here's some for you. To live is to have comfort. Oh, how often do I slip into that? That the purpose of my life is ultimately to make it more comfortable. Or to live is to experience pleasure. To fall in love. To live is to get married. Or to live is to raise children. Or to live is to have friends and have fun. Or to live is to have adventure. So many things. To live is to be free. To live is to have sex. Whatever it is. But we've been called to say something different with our lives. An author, C.S. Lewis, famously said, It would seem that if we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, that our Lord finds our passions not too strong, but too weak. We are too easily pleased. You know, that is true, and I'm too easily pleased sometimes, satisfied with the treasure that the world offers. We sang in that first song, treasures that once shone bright, eclipsed by a greater prize. That is true. Christ alone is worthy of a lifetime of adoration and affection. And we're called to become more like him, to magnify him, to make him known. Because what we have is this passion that where we're going is far better. And this is my final point. Our destination is far better than the journey. It's so true when you look at what Paul says to live is Christ but to die is gain to die is gain again you can read that and go yeah to die is gain to die he's basically saying that dying is better than living has Paul gone mad in prison and it might say okay to think oh yeah no to live is Christ But to believe that death is not loss, but gain, that's completely um, in contrary to everything the world has to say. We are terrified of death in this culture. We don't know what to do with it. It frightens us. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to behave. It's this fear because it's out of our control and we're robbed of something and, and we don't quite know how to cope with it. So to say it's gain, what is he talking about? And I do remember being 18 and I was in South Africa and I heard someone say this. And I was a Christian, I'd been a Christian for a while and they were talking about heaven being amazing and we're gonna to get to worship Jesus forever and it's better if you, you know, death is, die is gain. And I remember thinking, I argued, but it or not, I was quite an obnoxious 18-year-old. And I remember saying, I don't think you understand. I have so much I wanna do with my life. Like, there are so many things I'm looking forward to doing with my life. How can you tell me that dying is gain? I wasn't very mature at this point. I'd been a Christian for a while, as I've said, but I was still at the beginning of my journey. This, this concept was a, was a mystery to me. And if it's a mystery to you too, this is not supposed to make you feel bad or convicted. This is just to say, God's bringing you on a journey. He's brought me on a journey. I've still got so much to learn, but I have a bit more of an understanding now about what Paul's saying here. If I'm really honest at the time when I thought about heaven for because we're focusing on destination. And people saying, oh, you know, it's worship Jesus forever. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, worship Jesus forever. that would be great. There'll be other things up there, though, right? Like waterfalls and whitewater rafting, hopefully, and beaches to sit on, because I was a little bit unsure. I was, you know, I knew the right thing to be like, yeah, you worship Jesus forever. But I was a bit like, there'll be other stuff, right? And, And I don't know how you feel about heaven, but... You know what? Christian maturity, when you grow to love Jesus more and more and more and more and the idea of being able to meet him face to face and to be like him, it burns brighter and brighter and brighter. That destination just becomes more beautiful than than you could ever imagine as you grow. We can't make a claim that Paul does here about death being gained until we find Christ more precious, more valuable, more satisfying and more boastworthy than anything we could lose in death. Even while we're alive, we can make that claim. John Piper said, Death is fearful to the degree that it threatens to rob you of what you value most. I don't know what you value most, but Paul valued Christ most and it couldn't be robbed of him. He couldn't be robbed of that. In Christ we have hope that is everlasting. Paul later in 1 Corinthians said, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied you know, and if you're not a Christian here today, we are to be pitied as Christians if our hope is just limited to this life. That, that is not what we're here for. No, what Paul's saying is we have this hope that transcends death, that reaches beyond the grave. And Paul knew that Jesus had gained him entry into this heavenly kingdom 2 Timothy 4:18, he said, "The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me into His heavenly kingdom." Paul knew he had nothing to fear in death because his evil deeds, of which he had many, and of which many of us Christians would say we had many too, he had been forgiven. He had been wiped clean. God had rescued him from them so he could be brought into the heavenly kingdom. He knew that he would see Jesus face to face the sanctifying process will be over. You know, one day, the sanctifying process will be finished. Scripture says that when we, it says, you know, when the trumpet sounds in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed and we will be like him. Our spirit's made perfect. I can't wait for that moment. To die is gain. Can you imagine as well being in a world without pain? Relieved of the pain of this world. The Bible says that There is a place beyond death where there are no more tears, an end to suffering, an end to pain. You know, and sometimes we might, if you're not a Christian, you might think, that's just wishful thinking. That's just hope because it all feels a bit hopeless. You're just, you know, the truth is we ache for that, don't we? Don't you read the news sometimes and go, this isn't right? Sometimes I read the news and think, God, come back now. Come back now. Save us from this. Because I think in us, we have this knowledge that this isn't what we're supposed to be built for. This isn't it. This is not full life. In heaven, there'll be no more brokenness, no more addictions, no more abuse, no more corruption, no more fear, no more uncertainty, no more loneliness. And if you're in Christ, you're heading towards that. Can't wait. It's sure and it's certain. It's your ultimate home. We get to meet the one who made us and who saved us. Death is ultimately gained because death means more of Christ. In glory, we get to meet him face to face, possess him fully, if you like. You know, Christ is more wonderful than anyone you've ever met or will ever meet. He's so kind. If you speak to Christians here today, they would testify to the kindness of God in their life. He's kinder than anyone you love being with currently. And unlike me as an 18-year-old, I didn't understand this, you know, he is endlessly interesting. We will have eternity to enjoy him, and our consuming passion for him isn't going to run out. It's not going to get boring. I'm going to meet the one who saved me from the horror of my separation from God, the one who suffered and died. You know, once, this is really ridiculous, I wasn't going to say this, but I dreamt once I met the Queen. She came to my house and we had a cup of tea together. It's ridiculous. But after that dream, I just felt a bit in awe of her. Like, I kind of was like, oh, I wish I could meet her, because, you know, I, I felt this sort of awe of kind of royalty. And, and the, <laughs> she's like, why did you say it? It's a bit embarrassing. But the truth is that I probably won't get an audience with the Queen but I will with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the King over all history. That's certain. That's incredible. The King of Kings kings who left his throne was despised and rejected so that we won't be when we stand before him as our judge. You know, he's our judge and our defender. It's incredible. God Almighty, he loves us like no one ever can. I don't know what kind of love you've experienced in your life or are experiencing right now, but God loves us perfectly. His love is better than any love you could ever experience. You know, he has more dignity and majesty than our human minds could ever comprehend. If you when when I couldn't understand about heaven it's because my mind was limited. I couldn't understand, but it's going to be incredible. Psalm 16 says in his presence is fullness of joy, and in heaven we get his full presence. At his right hand, pleasures forevermore. We're heading towards fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. To die is gain. Our destination is greater than the journey. Paul knew what lay beyond death, life, perfect life. I heard a story this week of a guy called Andrew Chong. He was a doctor who was taken into a hospital for some major heart surgery. The surgery didn't go very well and the doctors told his family, you'd better get here. He's not going to make it through the night. So all the children were rushed to his bedside to say their goodbyes. Now the anaesthetic had worn off and Andrew was in intense pain, unable to speak. But he saw his family's distress and he motioned to them for a pen. He wasn't really able to write in a straight line. But very slowly, with intense deliberation, he wrote 12 words, in a single column for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain and then he spoke for the first time in a long time and said nothing has changed nothing has changed wow in that pain he knew where he was going he knew that to live is Christ but to die is gain We are homeward bound. We're going home. We're on a journey. As we finish, what steps do you need to take to make these words true for you today? And I don't mean like we've got to repeat them over and kind of drive into us and make it like a mantra. I mean, God's word transforms us from the inside. It can come alive in us. So what kind of truth do we need to hang on to today? when we think about how we're going to live tomorrow. And for some of us, it might be that we need to make our first step towards Jesus. It might be that you've never put your trust in Jesus, so you have no confidence. You do feel adrift. You do feel that there's nothing holding you down. There's nothing certain in your life. If you're here today and you can't think of any reason why you wouldn't give your life to Jesus, then do it. Speak to the person that you've come with or come to the front. I'd love to pray with you. There'll be a bunch of us at the front that will pray with you. But don't hold back. There's so many uncertainties in this life. Why wouldn't you put your confidence in something that is certain and sure and good? For others, you've made that first step towards Jesus, but now you need to make the next step towards living these verses out. We need community for that spurring one another on, encouraging and praying one another. So your next step, if you're a new Christian, might be to simply commit to coming here regularly. And that means weekly. Coming here regularly because it's good for you. It's good for you to hear truth, to to start to grow in your understanding about who Jesus is, to join a community. We've got loads of them. Join a community so that you can be with other people, strengthening you, just like Paul was by the Philippian Church, strengthening you, encouraging you, walking with you through the storm, of life. For others it's the ongoing step of daily choosing to believe this truth. If you are in a circumstance right now and you know you need to have full courage, then we can pray that the Holy Spirit just comes and ministers to you and gives you full courage to be able to see that in this situation now you can live for Christ. You can display him, can proclaim him. We can ask God to come and change our attitudes, change our perspectives. And grow us. It might be that you look at that and think, "Oh, Paul's Paul's fixation with the gospel and the advance of the kingdom that stirs me." Maybe your next step is praying for an opportunity this week to share the gospel with somebody, sharing truth with somebody, being able to help somebody to see that this life it is a journey and it doesn't end when we die; it, a new life begins. Whatever your next step is, I finish with this. Jesus will ultimately be honoured. One day the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every mouth will confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's choose to do that willingly today. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's experience in jail. Thank you for the truth that came out of those experiences. Thank you for this letter. And God, we thank you for the truth that, that it points to with us. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you that our salvation is a sure and certain thing. Thank you that we can put our trust in you and you will not fail us. God, I pray across this room right now. Whatever situation people are facing, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you embolden us? Would you work in our hearts and give us full courage for now? Holy Spirit, we want to we wanna make much of the name of Jesus. We want to glorify him. And just like that phrase that, you know, my body will be the theatre in which Christ's glory is displayed. Holy Spirit, we can't do that without you. We, we rely on you. Would you come and do a work in us? If we're facing situations right now, God, would you just ask that you would just come and would you, would you breathe hope and life into them, into the situations that we feel afraid of? Help us to be unafraid. Help us to burn with certainty, just like Paul did, that your, your, your plans and your purposes are unfailing and they will work out. God, I thank you that we're not adrift Thank you that we're not powerless. Thank you that we are empowered by the Spirit, that we have one another. God, I pray, would you use us to display you brightly? Would the way we live now, knowing we're homeward bound, would that, would that be such a demonstration to the people around us of a hope that's not held within this life, but is beyond the veil? And I pray, God, that we would be able to glorify you by how we live now, what we choose to treasure now. We choose to treasure you, Jesus, above all things. We thank you for who you are. Amen.